Reformed. I'm Pastor Brandon. I'm joining with Pastor Zach. We are pastors at, at uh, Westside Reformed Church, a URC congregation in Cincinnati, Ohio. Today we are going to kick off a series where we're going to be interacting with Roman Catholicism. And what we'd like to do in these podcasts is compare and contrast uh, the view of Rome and the view of the Reformed Church in order that we might better understand what Rome is saying and um, and also better understand our theology and, and what and, and how we uh, see the Christian faith and um, we also don't want to you know paint a straw man we don't want to kind of give like a little uh, you know one-liner or something that Rome says and then somehow uh, destroy a straw man but we want to actually interact with some of the creedal statements that they've said, um, and we want to interact with their catechism, various councils, and so we can show you what exactly is being said, and then we can interact with it and compare it with what the, the, the Reformed Church uh, has, has said. And so today, we're going to be, we're going to be honing in on the issue of, of authority and scripture, uh, specifically sola scriptura. And interacting with how Rome has spoken about authority and then the way in which the Reform has spoken about authority. So, Zach, why don't you kick us off and maybe paint the, the picture for us. What has uh, Rome said about the issue of authority and the Bible, tradition, all of these things? Sure. Well, like you said, we want to go directly to the sources on these things. And so... Let's um, turn our attention first to uh, the Council of Trent. This was in the uh, 1560s, around there, as a response to the Reformation, when Rome was beginning to distinguish itself as um, a distinct entity. Uh, we, within the Protestant world, believe that Roman Catholicism began at Trent. So let's hear a statement from Trent, then we'll hear from uh, the First and Second uh, Vatican Councils, I think this first quote here from the Council of Trent really does kind of get at the uh, clear difference and distinction between our view and uh, the view of Roman Catholicism from Trent's quote, supernatural revelation is contained in the written books and unwritten traditions that have come down to us, having been received by the apostles from the mouth of Christ himself or from the apostles themselves by the dictation of the Holy Spirit. And so there, I think that we can begin to see the uh, divergence between um, our two traditions, where for Rome, they, they view supernatural revelation in, in, as coming from two sources. Now, ultimately, it comes back to the source of Christ or the apostles, Christ speaking through the apostles. But they see that contained today in two different places, either in the sacred writings, Holy Scripture, or also the unwritten traditions that come down through the church and through the uh, hierarchy is what's being referred to there, those unwritten traditions. So something that's being elevated alongside, in other words, alongside Holy Scripture. There are two sources of supernatural revelation there for practical purposes. So that was the Council of Trent. The second uh, quote I'm going to read from is from the First Vatican Council. I'll begin here with a quote. 
in matters of faith and morals affecting the building up of Christian doctrine, that is to be held as the true sense of Holy Scripture which Holy Mother Church has held and holds, to whom belongs to judge of the true senses and interpretation of Holy Scripture. Therefore, no one is allowed to interpret the same sacred scripture contrary to this sense, or contrary to the unanimous consent of the fathers. And so what we have here then is um, a, a view of the church's interpretive authority that is unquestionable. It cannot be challenged. And also a view that the uh, fathers had a unanimous uh, consent that these things speak in harmony with each other and that cannot uh, be questioned. Of course, we do view that the church has a, a role to play here, but right here what we have is that no one is allowed to interpret um, the scriptures contrary to what Holy Mother Church uh, says and, and contradict that. So again, First Vatican Council. Second Vatican Council says this, both sacred scripture and uh, both sacred tradition and sacred scripture flowing from the same divine wellspring in a certain way merge into a unity and tend toward the same end. Consequently, it is not from sacred scripture alone that the church draws her certainty about everything that has been revealed. Therefore, both sacred tradition and sacred scripture are to be accepted and venerated with the same sense of loyalty and reverence. So there shows us the clear response, that reverence that's to be given to these two streams, uh, tradition and uh, scripture. So thus far, I think the Roman Catholic perspective on things, uh, Brandon, anything from that that you might want to highlight or reiterate that um, could be helpful for our listeners? Hope to just kind of draw some of the main, uh, main things there. Uh, no, I think that you hit, hit on all of the main things. They are elevating something to be alongside of Scripture, and then even um, bringing that elevated thing, which is the tradition, um, and they're making it the grid by which we can even interpret or read sacred Scripture. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty big move that's being done in terms of authority here in, mm -hmm. in Rome, I think. Well, how about then, let's uh, maybe move on a little bit to reflect on the Reformed tradition and what we say about Holy Scripture. Of course, there are some things where we agree with right. Roman Catholicism, but certainly some places where we depart from them, or we could say they have departed from us. Right. So, I mean, like Rome, when I'm, I know I have, I have Roman Catholic friends, and so, you know, we both can say we, we love the Bible. We both can say the Bible is the Word of God, and, um, you know, both are, are comfortable using the words inerrant, infallible, inspired, and all of these great words uh, to, to describe Holy Scripture. Uh, but where we differ is what is our ultimate authority? And... Um, my Roman Catholic friends are, are bringing um, something else uh, alongside of God's Word, and they're treating it um, together. Now, you know, as you mentioned, there are things that we agree with. Like, we agree um, with, again, the sacred writings and, and how, how sacred and, and inspired they are, but we also agree that there is a tradition, but we don't elevate it, right? We, we believe that there's a tradition, an apostolic tradition, but that apostolic tradition is 
concretized and spoken of in sacred scripture, right? right? right. Um, and a lot of the the the, the uh, traditions that were spoken individually to churches. So, for example, Paul speaking things to churches that were not canonized. Well, we don't have what he said. We don't know what he said to these churches. Uh, he wrote other books that were not included in the canon. So there's more books to the church at Corinth, for example. Uh, we don't know what, what it says. Uh, but it was for that church and, and for those people at that time. And uh, but again, we don't have it today. But we do, um, you know, we, we look and love the tradition. We, we, we love the apostolic fathers. We love the uh, early church fathers. We, we love church history and church tradition and councils and um, the ecumenical creeds and, and all of these things. I mean, we have a, a, a warm spot for, but just not in the exact same way in which Roman Catholicism sees it in terms of authority. So I thought I would read a piece from the Belgic Confession, Article 7, because I think that it begins to capture how the Reformed Church views sacred scripture and authority. The Belgic Confession says, We believe that this holy scripture contains the will of God completely, and that everything one must believe to be saved is sufficiently taught in it. We must not consider human writings, no matter how holy their authors may have been, equal to, to the divine writings. Nor may we put custom, nor the majority, nor age, nor the passage of time or persons, nor councils, decrees, or official decisions above the truth of God, for truth is above everything else. For all human beings are liars by nature, and more vain than vanity itself. Therefore, we reject with all our hearts everything that does not agree with this infallible rule as we are taught to do by the apostles. And so, a few things to highlight here. Um, the Holy Scriptures are sufficient. Um, for and uh, for life, uh, for eternal life and godliness, it is sufficient. What you must believe to be saved is taught in the Holy Scriptures. It's not, you know, partially taught in Scripture and then partially taught in unspoken or, or unwritten church tradition. No, it is sufficiently contained in Holy Scripture. And <clears throat> no council or decrees or official decisions are above the truth of God. Now, as Reformed Christians, we believe and, and, and we like councils, decrees, and official decisions, but not above the truth of God. They are subservient. So there's a subservient authority that they have, and they can always be corrected and tweaked and challenged by the uh, ultimate authority, which is sacred scripture. And um, I love how he says, we reject with all of our hearts. Uh, anything that does not agree with this infallible rule. What is the infallible rule? Well, there's only one, and that is sacred scripture. Um, the human uh, earthly uh, church courts or, or ecclesiastical official decrees, um, while all good, are not the infallible rule. The infallible rule is the Bible. Uh, anything else before I, I carry on? No, I, I think that uh, you hit the nail on the head there. Nothing to add. Okay. Um, so just a couple things that... Uh, where the Reformed are going to disagree with Roman Catholicism. We, we disagree on the, the sole authority of the Bible. Now, we believe, again, the Bible is our sole ultimate authority. Now, we believe in, again, subservient authorities. 
but but the Bible is this all ultimate. And somebody uh, was asking me, where in the Bible do you find the the words sola scriptura? And my response was, where in the Bible do you find the word Trinity? <laughs> because Trinity is not in the Bible, the word, but obviously the teaching, the concept, you know, all of these things are are in the Bible. And so the same, I mean, you're not going to find a phrase sola scriptura written right there in uh, some sort of chapter and verse. <clears throat> but again, the teaching of Sola Scriptura is, is contained in, in the Bible. I think we see it in several ways in terms of the authority. We see, uh, for example, uh, Matthew 4.4, 4, uh, Jesus says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is something that we see often in the Gospel with Christ. He'll, he'll say things like, it is written. Uh, and he says that, in the the perfect tense in Greek. So he's speaking about something that happened in the past and has ongoing effect into the future. He says, it is written. It has been written in the past and it's sending a ripple effect in terms of application into the future. And when somebody is erring and, and deferring from sound doctrine or practice, or if the devil's trying to tempt him, he can just say, it is written, and guess what? That's enough, because it's been written. <clears throat> the authority of the Bible. Or um, Jesus uh, rebukes the Pharisees. He says, have you not read? They should have read. They didn't read. Or they did read and they didn't understand. Uh, but Jesus says, have you, have you not read? You, you should have. Um, we also see this, I think, with the Berean church. So, for example, in Acts 17... Uh, it says, now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So it's, it's interesting here in Berea, Paul's coming and he's preaching and he's telling them the gospel. He's telling, telling them about Christ. And these great Bereans open up, their, open up their Bible, open up the scriptures and examine the scriptures um, to see if these things are so. As, as Paul is, is, is preaching to them, they want to confirm that with sacred scripture, which they did. And what I think it, that, that examples to us, a great example of the authority in which scripture has. And I, I think within that, too, I think what you're drawing out, just to make sure it's clear to our listeners here, that that is the mentality that the Pharisees ought to have had. Mm -hmm. And when Christ was directing them, saying, it is written over and over, that's because they kept wanting to appeal to their human traditions. Mm -hmm. They believed that those traditions that they held, the traditions of the elders, were alongside Scripture. And they believed that they were on the same level as Scripture and came down through the ages from Sinai. That, oh, Moses and the elders went up Sinai and they came down. They had these traditions that were never written down. Then there, there comes this twofold authority to the Pharisees. And really the Pharisaic approach to things, what Jesus was rebuking, is really quite similar, I think, to the Roman Catholic view on authority. And so as Christ was rebuking that, saying it's written, directing them back to Scripture, we see, I think, from the Bereans, like you pointed out, a great example of how how the Jews ought to have been conducting themselves. Right, right. yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's good. Um, and so, I mean, just, just the authority of the Bible, I mean, the authority of Scripture, the authority of God's Word, we see it throughout, throughout the Bible being exampled in, in the life of Christ and the life of the apostles, showing us how it ought to work, um, and also showing us that the only thing that can bind the conscience of a believer is the Word of God, 
the word of man cannot bind the conscience. It must be God's truth that binds the conscience. Um, so the authority is, is, is one in which we differ with Rome. Now, again, they, have an, uh, they see the scriptures as authoritative insofar as, as it fits with their, um, their grid of their uh, magisterium and tradition. Um, but we see it as the sole ultimate authority, the only ultimate authority. Uh, the other th- quibble that we have in terms of the Bible with Rome is the perspicuity. Uh, this goes, you know, obviously uh, back throughout the history of, of Roman Catholicism, really came to a head, I think, in the Reformation, where uh, many within Rome were saying, uh, well, you know, we can't have a Bible in the common language because people can't understand it. And so uh, people will twist it and people just, you know, can't... Um, fully grasp the the word of God and, um, and and it was even said that many priests have a hard time with reading the Bible and understanding it and so if priests are having a hard time understanding the Bible then we shouldn't give it to the common man it was argued within Rome and obviously Martin Luther challenged that he illegally translated the Bible into the vernacular uh, which brought on a lot of uh, condemnation from Rome um, but that, that was something that was ingrained within, within uh, the Protestant uh, Lutheran Reformed churches is that the Bible is, is clear in its central message. Now, that doesn't say that there's not hard parts to the Bible. There are hard parts Certainly. to the Bible. Even Peter says some of Paul's writings is hard to understand. Uh, we affirm that. But we're saying that the central message of the gospel, the central message of Scripture, Christ, is clear to those who read it. For, for example, we see in um, Psalm 119, 130, it says, The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So what gives light and imparts understanding to, to, to the simple? It's God's word. Uh, Matthew 22, Jesus said, Answer them, you are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. In other words, you should know the scriptures and the power of God. You don't. And that was, uh, that was a problem. But also being presupposed there is, is the, the essential clarity of, 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 of God's word. Anything to add on persecution? I think that it's, it's also notable that Jesus on the road to Emmaus rebuked his own disciples, saying, Hey, you should understand everything that I've been telling you from the Old Testament scriptures, from the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. All of it was there, all of it about me, all of it about the forgiveness of sins, repentance being proclaimed to the nations. It was all there, and he rebuked them for not understanding those things, and he's talking about the Old Testament. And he, he called them fools, yes. and slow at heart yes, to believe right. all the prophets had spoken. <laughs> that's right. So what, what's the clear implication here? That scripture is clear, mm-hmm. not just the new, but also the Old Testament. And if the old, then certainly the new, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, obviously that's one of the differences with uh, the Reformed and R- Roman Catholicism. Um, we believe the Bible is, is um, perspicuous. They, they do not. Another aspect is the sufficiency of the Bible. And this is a place where the Reformed and, and Rome have gone back and forth on. Rome does not believe the Bible is sufficient. Uh, they think it, it does part of the job. And the uh, traditions of the church have to do the other part. But we believe that the Bible is sufficient 
to teach us how to be saved and how to live a life that's pleasing to God. Uh, for example, I think we see this in 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 17. From childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So he's saying the Bible is to make us equipped for every good work. And he tells Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings or the sacred scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. What is able to make you wise for salvation? The sacred scriptures are. He doesn't say, well, you need, you need a couple things here. You need the sacred writings, and you need the uh, church tradition. He, he doesn't tell Timothy that he only had half knowledge of salvation. He says, no, you were, um, it, it was able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And, um, um, and, and uh, Scripture makes us complete equipped for every good work. So I think it's hard to deny the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, Mark 1, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 119.1 says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, showing us that we can, we can walk in light of God's Word and we can live a life that's pleasing to God, um, obviously not in ourselves, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, walking by faith, not in perfect, or not perfectly rather, but but uh, imperfectly. Uh, but we can we can live a life that's pleasing to God, and we can f- see the way in which um, we can be saved by faith in Christ in the sacred writings. We don't need writings and then church tradition as like two halves to a circle. Um, anything to add on that? No, I think that it's. Again, just to reiterate here, we're not saying that tradition is unhelpful. Often that is very helpful. Sure, yeah. But the question here is, is it necessary for salvation? Or is um, church tradition, is the purpose of it in order to help us interpret Scripture? Or is it to add something else to Scripture that's not there? What we say is that it helps us to understand Scripture and the sense of Scripture and how to apply Scripture it doesn't add something that's lacking. So just, again, to be very clear about this, of, of seeing that tradition is helpful, mm-hmm. but it's helpful as it brings us back to Scripture, which mm-hmm. brings us to Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's a good point, because the way in which sufficiency of Scripture is denied is they're saying there's something intrinsically lacking in Scripture. Scripture in itself is deficient, right. and it needs a supplement. Um, we say there's nothing deficient mm-hmm. in Scripture, and it doesn't need a supplement. Now, it's good that we have tradition. It's good. Even as we're reading the Bible, it's good that we have archaeological evidence. Mm-hmm. We, we can go to um, historical, ge- uh, geographical evidence we can go to to help kind of illumine things to us. Mm-hmm. But it, there's nothing deficient in Scripture. Right. And it gives us more precision in our interpretation, right? right? right. Of course. It, but the, the central thing of Christ dying for sinners and rising mm-hmm. again from the dead, you don't need an archaeological dig for that. <laughs> You don't need right. these um, yeah, the traditions of the uh, church to arrive to the central things about the life, death, resurrection, ascension, the forgiveness of sins. These things are abundantly perspicuous or clear in, in Scripture. And so I, I think that um, uh, I don't know if I have much else to say on that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no. Um, what, one last thing that... Um, 
the Reformed and and Rome have kind of gone back and forth on is the Reformed Church believes that the Bible is self-attesting, um, is self-authenticating. Uh, we, we, we don't believe that the church produced the Bible. Um, in fact, Turretin says it's the other way around. Uh, we shouldn't view the canon of Scripture as something that the church um, uh, somehow established and made and shaped and, and all, all of these things. Put into effect or something like right, that. Right, right. <clears throat> but these, these books are self-attesting. And uh, they uh, derive authority from, from themselves. It's not given to them from something outside. The church doesn't give the Bible its authority. It has it from God because God is the author of those books. And now it's good that the church recognized those mm-hmm. books. It's good uh, that, that Christians uh, um, uh, see the, the, the beauty and the blessedness and the truthfulness of, of, of Holy Scripture. But in terms of where it's deriving its authority, it's not from a church or an ecclesiastical structure. It's from God uh, himself because he is the author of those books, and they are self-attesting. Mm-hmm. So. He uses his church to put them into... Writing, so he used the uh, prophets of the old and the apostles of the new to write it down, but it wasn't authority from them, right. and it wasn't authority from those councils like the Sanhedrin or the twelve apostles getting together where the Pope from Rome is saying something. But by its very nature, it is authoritative, and the church simply recognizes that. Right. Yeah. Well, we hope that this has been helpful for you, and we hope that this drives you back to having greater confidence in Holy Scripture and to become all the more familiar uh, with it. Again, this doesn't take away from the place of the local church. We think that the local church is essential to the Christian life and that that is the place where God meets with us by the Holy Spirit in his worship. However, the church exists to bring us Scripture and to bring us the uh, Word of God. So we hope that you find a, a, a healthy church. Uh, if you're in Cincinnati area, we invite you to come join us at Westside Reformed Church. We meet at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and you can check us out at westsidereformed.org. And we hope that this uh, uh, podcast is um, uh, a blessing to you. hope that this, uh, the first part of this uh, series, as we think about Roman Catholicism, is helpful for you to know more about what you believe and why you believe it. And we um, invite you to submit uh, questions to us, send us reflections. That would be uh, very much appreciated. So um, until next time, uh, we're the Cincy Reformed Podcast, cincyreformed.org, and we hope you join us next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.